Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, everybody at home. Trust everybody had a good week. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, I'm going to be doing something different today in the sense that uh, I'm not going to have any slides. I would really appreciate it if you had your Bibles with you. Uh, over the next little few weeks, we're going to be doing a series, which I'll explain in a little bit. But if you have your Bibles, please make sure you have them, whether they're on your phone. If they're on your phone, please make sure it's actually at your Bible and not checking up on your social media or anything like that. Please, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, but have your Bibles open. Um, start getting a pen and a paper as well. You're going to have a pen and paper, just so we can start taking notes and things like that. Something you can revisit. And if you do take notes, and I'm guilty of this, revisit them. Revisit them and see what God actually teaches you with the notes that you actually take. Now, in the late 90s, that seems so long ago, in the late 90s, I'd moved to Australia, and I was playing rugby out at the Hawkesbury. And I was part of the, uh, the first grade team out there. I played a couple of the games with them. And uh, I'm, I'm a loose forward. So I'm a loose forward, meaning I played number seven. I'm a forward. I'm not super fast or anything. And we had a space in the back line. So they placed me in outside center. And it was shocking. It was shocking. I was completely lost because I didn't know where I was supposed to stand at particular times of the game. Um, my friend just told me, bro, just take the ball and run straight ahead. You just run straight ahead, get smashed, go down, put the ball back. That's it. And so that's what I did. And I even did that terribly. Then, thankfully, one of our forwards, another loose forward, number seven, he got injured at the end of the first half. And so I got moved. <laughs> I thought that was coming. Mean, no offense to the guy. But I got to play my preferred position. And once I was there... I was great. I was just smashing people. I was getting the ball, things like that. I played so well in the second half, I actually got a couple of points for the player of the, player of the week uh, thing. They have like, they give out three points, two points, and one point for players of the game. I played second half in my preferred position, and I got two points. And I was like, yeah, just because I felt comfortable in this. Now, you might wonder, why is he doing another sports illustration for? Because that's all I ever seem to do. The reason being, I think, is we as a church sometimes feel lost. Not the church in regards to GCC, the church in general. We sometimes feel lost. And the reason why we feel lost is because we have lost sight of either the job we're supposed to do, the task that's been entrusted to us, or how we're supposed to actually fulfill the task that's been given. And so today, I want us to actually look at the church. In Acts chapter 2, we're not going to actually work through the whole thing, but have a look at it as I explain some stuff to you. This is to provide the context of the series we're going to be looking at. In Acts chapter 2, we are given this amazing account of the birth of the church. We read how in the unity of heart, mind, and purpose that these followers of Jesus Christ heard like the sound of a rushing wind blowing through. In verse 2, it came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. We also see how it seemed that tongues of fire were separated and rested upon each individual in verse 3. Then we see in verse 4, these great words that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and could speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. After this, we read how the miraculous occurrence of all these people could understand the various message, or not the various, but the message being taught in their own language. People of all tribes, of every nation, in verses 5 through to 13, 
hearing of the wonderful works of God, of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus, the hope of life that is promised through faith in him. And you read that in verses 14 through to 36. We see thousands of people respond to the gospel message from 37 to 41. And we see from verses 42 to 47, what I like to call a blueprint of what I think every church is aiming for, to be an act to church. A church, meaning a people devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer in verse 42. A people filled with awe as the power of God was manifest through the hands of the apostles of signs and wonders in verse 43. You see this breaking down of divisions as each gave for the need of others. Those that had much gave to those that had little. So none lacked at all in verse 44. And we see a people or a church marked by their unity, their devotion, their worship, and growth in verses 45 through to 47. I want you to take note of this blueprint because this blueprint is not bound by a culture. It's not bound by geography. Actually, years ago, Jimmy and I, we did a couple of messages on culture. And this culture isn't actually bound. That This blueprint isn't bound by a culture. It isn't bound by gender. It isn't bound by race. It is bound by the connection to the person of Jesus Christ. This is why you can take this blueprint and plant it in the middle of the bush in New Zealand and find a flourishing church. It is why I went down to the Shoalhaven once to a church that was where the youngest person was 65. And I had an amazing time of fellowship as we had all things in common in Christ. It is where I can go to a, a Chinese church down the road and have a great time being ministered to in the word because of the unity brought about by Christ where I went to a Spanish church and I sat down, everything was in Spanish, had a guy tap me on the shoulder and said, I'll be translating for you. And as the preacher preached, this man behind me, his name was Horatio, was speaking in English to me. It was really, really weird, but it was awesome that as this guy was speaking in Spanish, he was like, I can speak Spanish. And he was, he could understand, and he was speaking in English to me. And I had a great time of fellowship with my brother Horatio and everybody there. It is why you can take this blueprint and put it anywhere in the world because it's based upon the, the depth of God's word, because it's based upon the person of Jesus Christ. This is not limited to anywhere else. There's not one right tradition. There's not one right way. There's not one right, one right way of worship or this, that, or the other. It's bound by the word of God, by the person of Jesus Christ. And I think that's why we, as a people, we as a church need to get back to the basics of our faith. If you look at the entrance toward our church, you'll notice that there are two banners there. The one on the left, the blue one, is the church, church's core values. The other is the church's beliefs. And what I want to do over the next sort of few months, as we're going to be touching on various core values of our church, that we as the people of God, we as the children of Jesus Christ, need to be reminded of what is core in our faith, what is core, what is foundational, what we revolve around, for us to be reminded of that. And I want you to notice something. I mean, when you leave today, take a photo of that. Take a photo of the core values, because you'll notice something about it, that it's not just a list of instructions. It's almost like a creed where you see things dealing with relationship things dealing with our connection to Jesus Christ, things dealing with our connections to each other. And I'm going to look at each of these things throughout the, the rest of the year. No, I'm not, not focusing on that. I'm saying I'm going to look at various core values over the coming months. So today, I wanted to share with you our first core value. Does anybody actually know 
what our first core value is. If you're watching at home, type it in the, in the, in the comments things down the bottom. Then people here will probably look at it. Okay, but does anyone know what the first core value is for, for GCC? Okay. Jesus. That's like a real Sunday school answer, right? Jesus? You're right. <laughs> You're right. The first core value, I'm going I'm to read it to you now. Okay, it says this. Jesus Christ, the head of the church and central to all we do. That's easy to remember. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and central to all we do. I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then let's look at the scriptures together at what God can burden and stir our hearts with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that because of your son, Jesus Christ, we can call you Father. We thank you so much that in your son, Jesus Christ, we are made new through trusting in him and what he has done for us on the cross. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, our eternal destiny is secure because you conquered death, ascended to the right hand of God, and even now intercede for us. I pray, Father, that today you will open our eyes to see the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ and him alone. That if we are burdened with affairs and cares of this world, that we will lay them at your feet. That if we are feeling inadequate or doubtful or just feeling sorry for ourselves, that we will lay that at your feet as we see who you have made us, a child of the Most High. So we ask now that you will minister to us now, reveal yourself in all your greatness so that we not only would be in awe of you, but that we also will fall more in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it is in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. So, this first core value, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and central to all we do, there are three basic truths from that one core value I want us to look at today. This is going to be a short sermon today. I think only maybe 35 minutes. All right, so, if you have a look, first one, 1.1, this is what I call it, one point, core value one, our first point. His person, take note of that, his person, Jesus Christ. Last week, I asked you this question as we looked at God's grace upon her. And this question was this, when was the last time you stood in awe of the Lord? How many of you actually answered that question? How many of you actually went home and meditated on how just awestruck you were by looking at the person of Jesus Christ? Personally, I'm of the mindset that if one isn't of, sorry that if one isn't in awe of something, then there might be some things going on. For example, there might be a lack of understanding of what you're looking at. You don't understand what's involved. I remember with my mum, and, and we do this as kids, we forget how much our parents do for us. I remember one time, and I've shared this before, when my mum worked 24 hours straight. 24 hours straight. And all I was worried about was, where's mum? What's for dinner? That was all I was concerned about. When I come to understand that, as I got older, and I realized that, I realized, I only learned a few years ago, maybe two years ago, that I'm the child of immigrants. That my parents moved to another country, and I was the first generation born there. I didn't realize how much effort did they put in for us to succeed. And so you sort of, you still, and because I didn't understand that, I didn't really appreciate what it was. So maybe we just have a lack of understanding because of something. That's what maybe causes it to lose it's or uh, maybe it's the inability to see what's actually taking place in 2000 in the NBA dunk competition. Another sports illustration. I'm sorry. There was a guy by the name of Vince Carter, and he does this dunk. 
this, uh, this dunk, in the, in the dunk competition, he does this dunk where his whole forearm actually went into the ring. And everybody thought, what a strange dunk. When they looked at it again, they were awestruck because he got high enough that the ring was here and he got his whole arm inside. And everybody was like, wow. Once everybody looked at it then, they thought, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. But I think maybe that's the case. Maybe we just sort of overlook sort of things. to so think, wow, maybe when we look at it again, realize what took place there. Or you've just been accustomed to it over time. One of the things I'm always amazed when I first came to Australia was seeing kangaroos in the wild. I went to a place in Jervis Bay, and there were kangaroos on my front yard. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. I saw wombats, whoa, that's amazing. I saw echidnas, whoa, that's amazing, just out and about. When I lived down in the highlands, same thing. Now it's just like, that's a roo. Nah, it's just a wombat. You know, and, and you grow accustomed to it, don't you? These things, I think we apply to the Lord Jesus in our Christian life. These things, I think we play down. We, we forget, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. We sort of become accustomed to that, don't we? It's an amazing manner of love where God took human form and came to earth. But we get so accustomed to that, we think, ah, oh, yeah, it's another Jesus story. We become so accustomed to it. We forget. And we, we, we forget how much was involved in him giving his life so that we might be forgiven of our sin and made children of the living God. We forget things like Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. We forget that it's death. That's a serious thing, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We forget. We become so accustomed to it. We, we forget the likes of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, when the, the writer of Hebrews quotes the Psalms and says, what is man that you are mindful of him? What, why? Why are you so concerned? We look at such things and we just play it down and we forget. How then do we revitalize? How do we then sort of open our eyes to see such things? I have, I have to be, I have to be continually reminded not only of his greatness, but also of his humility as servant. I think we need to take the time to actually get into God's word and not only read God's word, spend time immersing ourselves in his word, but also from his word, live out the truths that he challenges us with. I think we need to have a clearer vision of who Jesus Christ is. And so what I did, I looked up, there's this gentleman who actually... He went through all the names of Jesus Christ and listed them alphabetically from the Bible. It was actually really interesting. He, he used the King James. But I want you to just have a listen to this. 101 titles that he listed. I'm not going to read every reference, but I'm not going to read, oh, I'll probably read most every name. But listen to this. He is, this is who it is that we know. This is Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Amen. He is the Apostle of our profession. He is the Arm of the Lord. He is the Author and Finisher of our faith. He is the Author of eternal salvation. Think about that from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. The Author of eternal salvation. That, that speaks to our eternal security in Jesus Christ. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the beloved son. He is the blessed and only potentate. He is the branch. He is the bread of life. He is the captain of salvation. He is the chief shepherd. That speaks to his personal care and involvement with us. He is the Christ of God. He is the consolation of Israel. He is the cornerstone, counselor, creator, 
<clears throat> he is the day spring. He is the deliverer, which speaks to our liberation from sin. He is the desire of nations. He is the door. He is the elect of God. He is the everlasting father, the faithful witness. He is the first and the last. He is the first begotten, meaning his connection to the father personally. He is God. He is God blessed, the good shepherd. He is governor. He is the great high priest, which speaks to his ministry on our behalf. He is the holy of, he is the head of the church, the heir of all things. He is the holy child, the holy one, holy one of God. He is the holy one of Israel, the horn of salvation. He is the great I am, the image of God, the Emmanuel, Jehovah. He is Jesus of Nazareth, which speaks to his humanity, the judge of Israel. He is the just one, the king, the king of ages, the king of the Jews, the king of kings. He is the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the leader and commander, the life, the light of the world, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord of all, the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords, the Lord of our righteousness. He is the man of sorrows, which looks at his sacrifice for you. He is the mediator, which speaks of how he, he intercedes on our behalf. He is the messenger of the covenant. He is the Messiah, the mighty one, the mighty God. He is the morning star, the Nazarene, the only begotten son. He is our Passover. He is the prince of life, the prince of kings, the prince of peace, the prophet, the redeemer, the resurrection and life. He is the rock, root of David. He is the rose of Sharon. He is our savior. He is our savior. He is the seed of the woman, the shepherd and bishop of souls. He is Shiloh, the son of the blessed. He is the son of David, the son of God, the son of the most high. He is the son of righteousness. He is the true light, the true vine, the truth, witness, word, and word of God. That is Jesus Christ. That is our God. That is who we know. He is the head of the church. 101 references to the Lord Jesus that contrast in the names alone, this greatness, his mightiness, and his humility, and his service. Everything summed up in one person who we know. That is what we need to be reminded of. That is what we need. No, no, not that. That is who we need to see. And all his goodness and all his greatness that he manifests towards you. What am I that this God knows me? What am I that he knows my name and your name? That he knows every hair of your head. That he knows every situation that you're in. That he knows the hardships that you're going through. That he knows the difficulties that you experience. That he knows the heaviness of your heart. He knows if you feel lonely. He knows if you feel tired. He knows if you feel sick. And yet he comes down to you. This is who we need to be reminded of that in the context of this one person, we not only know him, but he knows us as well, that we are privileged enough to say that we know. A man by James Stewart, he said this when he talked about the greatness of the contrast of Jesus Christ, how all of this is summed up in the one person. He says this, he was the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men, yet he spoke of coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming, yet he was so genial and winsome and approachable that the children loved to play with him and little ones nestled in his arms. His presence at the innocent gaiety of a village wedding was like the presence of sunshine. No one was half as kind or compassionate to sinners, yet no one ever spoke such red-hot scorching words about sin. His whole life was love, yet on one occasion he demanded of the Pharisees how they ever expected to escape the damnation of hell. He was a dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions, yet for sheer stark realism he has all of our self-styled realists soundly beaten. 
He was the servant of all washing the disciples' feet, yet masterfully he strode into the temple and the money changers and the hucksters fell over one another in their mad rush to get away from the fires they saw blazing in his eyes. He saved others, but at the last himself he did not save. There is nothing in history like the union of contrast which confront us in the Gospels. The mystery of Jesus is the mystery of divine personality. If we could but see who Jesus is, would that not then change your heart and my heart? Would that then stir us to take his call on our lives more seriously? But this is the first truth, that of Jesus Christ and him alone. This is the foundation on which our life rests. But it's not just this. If we look at 1.2, 1.1 is his person. 1.2 is his position. We read in our, in, our, in our core value that he is the head of the church. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, God had placed all things under the feet of Christ and appointed him to be the head of the church, a title that's given even greater meaning when we consider how we, as the church, is identified or are identified as the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. That as the body of Christ, we all have different places in the body. We all have different functions within the body, but we are all governed by the head. That is his position. And regardless of what you think or what I think or what I believe, that position will never change. His authority, his headship, his leadership, his position will always remain the same. He has held that position of headship, of authority, of sovereign rule since before creation and eternity past. He holds it currently, even with the world and the way it's going now, even with the world, everything that's happening in the world today, he still maintains that same position and he will hold it into eternity future. That will never change. Pastor John sent me a wonderful little video of a man with his son. I'm, I'm quoting the, the story, brother, of a man with his son, and the son asked, how big is God? I want to say, how big is Christ? Because we're friends of the same thing. And the, the father was thinking about it, and he looked up, and he saw a plane flying over. And he says, how big is that plane? And the son says, that's oh, very tiny. So he took his son to the actual airport, had a look at the planes, and he says, how big is a plane? And the son says, that's really big. And the father basically said, in, in a nutshell, depending on how close you are, will determine how big God is. Now, I love that illustration. I think it's a great illustration. One thing I was, one thing I was convicted about in my own life, whether I'm far from him or distant, my perception of him is determined by how close I am to him, yes? But he will always be big. He will always be God. He will always be savior. He will always be in charge. He will always be head, regardless of how close I am or not. If I turn my back, for example, for example, okay, I turn my back on you guys. So I, I see Cass there. Cass is getting married soon. Okay, anyway, I just told the whole internet, okay, Cass is getting married soon. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the details later, okay? Okay, it's on this date. No, okay, all right, so anyway, so Cass is sitting there. I turn around. I can carry on talking. Cass is still there. Regardless, if, uh, when I turn away from her or not, she's still there. She's like one of those people that's just always around, okay? That wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this. Just because, just because I turn my back on the person of Christ doesn't take away from him being in charge. Just because I choose not to look at him because I'm looking at other things, he still remains in charge. 
just because I choose to walk away from him and he becomes smaller in my eyes doesn't mean he's any less small. He is and will always be King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He will always be the Holy One of God. He will always be sovereign. He will always be preeminent. He will always be supreme. That never changes, and his position never changes either. Even in our lives, when our worlds are falling apart, he still remains in charge. He still has things in control, and he still has his hand in each of your lives. Whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, that's still there. That's the blessing we have of knowing him and our position, and his position, and we in connection to that position. As the head thinks, feels, and desires, the body in turn thinks, feels, and desires in line with him. And that we respond to the way he thinks. For example, as we respond to the way he thinks, that means we are obedient to his instructions. For the likes of, say, Joshua 3.5, sanctify yourselves or set yourselves apart. To say, abstain from sexual immorality, as it talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to rejoice always, that we are to you know, rejoice evermore, to, to pray without ceasing, and to in everything give thanks. That as he feels, that's what we should do. That, he, that the body would emote what he feels. Sorry, that, that we would emote what he feels, is what I was supposed to say. For example, fruit that will last. The likes of, say, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in Galatians 5. Or that we as the body would long for what he desires because he's the head and what his desires are. What are his desires as the head? It's a better way to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as yourself, as it talks about in Mark 12. To, 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 so that none should perish in Second Peter chapter 3, that all should come to repentance. Or, or the fact of holiness, that we are to be holy as he is holy in 1 Peter chapter 1. Our functioning is most effective when the pathways to the head are unimpeded to the body. For he, and listen, the Lord Jesus, is the truth upon which our existence rests as the church. Our existence as a church is only possible because of our connection to the head. And we're only effective as we remain connected. And what are the things that can impede? Uh, okay, I have a, a sore left foot. Um, I went to the doctor, and apparently it, it, it's an old man thing. Apparently, um, and, it's, and so I'm not. But there are things that happen in my left foot which impede my effectiveness to function. What are the things that impede us as the body of Christ? You know what? Sin, gossip, disunity, anger, selfishness, self-centeredness. All of these sorts of things can impede our connection to the head. And once it impedes our connection to the head, then we start being my left foot. That when the body tries to function, oh, because because of my left foot, I run like an old man now. Oh, I am an old man, but anyway. But like, if you've ever watched, if you've watched, uh, there's a movie, I was still with my, my brother, and he was saying, like, I run, I run with those really little steps now, and, and sort of really slow. It's, it's, it's. It's quite sad. I'm talking with my Uncle Mike. Where's Uncle Mike? I'm talking with Uncle Mike. He's trying to, to sort of work me through this because he's an athlete and, and I'm asking him how, to, how he handles it. And he's been really gracious toward me. So it's a great blessing. Okay? Anyway. 
But Paul so beautifully puts it in his discourse in Acts 17 when it refers to the position that Christ holds. And he's referring to God. But in Acts 17 verse 28, it says this, For in him we live and move and have our being. In him we, have, we live and move and have our being. Not in anything else. Not in myself, not in my family, not in my wife, not in my friends, not even in the church building or you. It's in him we live and we move and we have our being because he is the head of the church. And it goes beyond just the head of the church. It's, it's his sovereignty that he has over all existence. What does it say in John chapter 1, verse 3? Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Or as it says in Colossians 1, 17, he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, all things are what? Held together. It is in him we live, we move, we breathe. It is in him our existence remains. Alexander McLaren sums this up beautifully in this way. He says, we believe that to Christ belongs creative power, that without him was not anything made, that which, uh, anything made which has been made. We believe that from him came all life at first, that in him life was as in its deep source. Sorry, yeah, life was in its deep source. He is the fountain of life. We believe that as no being comes into existence without his creative power, so no one continues to exist without his sustaining energy. We believe that the history of the world is but the history of Christ's influence and that the center of the whole universe is the cross of Calvary. The whole center of the universe is the cross of Calvary, is the person of Christ. Thus, if that's his person, Jesus Christ, and his position as head of the church, then it makes sense that the third part of our core value is this, his purpose. It says that he is central to all we do. I think this is the most difficult aspects of our lives in Christ that he is the central purpose, that he is the central person, that he is the central pivot upon which every aspect of my life rests. In Matthew 27, we read how the Lord Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. He is questioned, Christ is questioned, Christ is accused, and he is offered as a choice to all the people that are waiting, either choose to be set free, uh, but he was to, uh, allowed to set free one person, and it says, you could either choose Christ to be set free, or you could choose Barabbas. And then they all chose Barabbas. Then, and I think it's in verse 22, we see this. Pilate says this, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? That question he posed to the crowds is the same question that should be posed to us as his children. What shall we do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? What shall we do as a church? What shall we do as an individual? What shall we do as a pastor or as a parent? What shall we do as a, a worker or as a student? See, we have but skimmed over the person of Jesus Christ. We have but briefed over his position and the position that he holds. But if I truly grasp, if I truly believe what he said about himself, if I truly believe how he represented himself in the scriptures, if I believe those things, then should not my life then reflect what I believe about him? 
should not my life reflect the understanding or the truth of who he is? Shouldn't that be the natural job? Should not then my life revolve around him because he is the head? He is Lord. He is God. He has made promises that he keeps. Therefore, should not my life fall into line with who he is rather than what I think about him? That's the challenge of us being central to them. Should not my life show that? For those of us who have trusted in Christ, have trusted in his virgin birth, his sinless life, his sacrifice on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, and to, of us, through faith in him being born again, of being forgiven of sin, born again from his spirit, the evidence of that encounter is revealed not in my decision to place my trust in him, but rather the life that flows after that decision. The fruit that comes forth. This is the whole argument that James provides in Luke chapter 2 when he charges the believers regarding the link between faith and works. In James chapter 2, verses 18 through to 22, he says, Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? The demons believe and shudder. Demons believe there is one God. Demons believe there is Jesus Christ. Demons acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. You see that within the scriptures and they are fearful of him. Carry on reading in James, verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, it is possible to do the right things. It is possible to look the Christian, look, look like the Christian life. That is possible. You know, I've known many people who have professed to be Christians as well. They say the right things, they do the right things, and all that sort of stuff. But it does come to the front. The reality of what's internal eventually comes out. Richard Foster, he says this. Uh, will worship is what he calls it. Will worship, when you try to do the efforts yourself, or when people who profess to be Christians but aren't really. It says, will worship may produce an outward show of success for a time, but in the cracks and crevices of our lives, our deep inner condition will eventually be revealed. Will eventually be through the words we say, because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It'll be the attitudes we have, the works of the flesh that it talks about in Galatians 5, or what we invest into. As it talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in 1 John 2. The way for us as a, ch as a church and as individuals to combat the traps of apathy or going through the motions is by keeping Jesus for us as a church and for us as individuals as head of the church. Like I said, he's not there because we hold him there. He's there regardless. It's a matter of us recognizing him in his rightful position and submitting to that meaning we need to know what his heart is, what his desires are, what his purposes are, what his values are. And the thing is, do you know what these are biblically? Do you know what they are? And if you do, do you revolve your life around him to do so? 
You see, as a church, we know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, according to Luke 19.10. Therefore, our purpose as a church is to provide avenues whereby we can do the same, to seek and save the lost, to shine as a light in the darkness, to be a city on a hill. As a church, we know the Lord Jesus will build his church so the gates of hell will not stand against it in Matthew 16, 18. If we know this, therefore we are to go about either providing materials for him to build with, because we are the living stones, according to 1 Peter 2, that he can build a, a house, a spiritual house, that can offer up sacrifices to him, and by actually yielding our lives to him so he can do that. As a church, we know that we are identified as Jesus' followers by our love for one another, according to John 13, 35. Therefore, we are to what? Love one another, John 13, 34. We are to be kind and forgiving to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. We are to be devoted to one another and honoring one another, according to Romans 12, 10. We are to be serving one another, <coughs> according to John 13, 14. You see, when Christ is central for us as a church, when Christ is central to us as individuals, you'll discover that our purpose as a church has to find its fulfillment, its contentment, its unity, and its purpose established in the person of Christ himself, not in anything else, not in traditions, not an activity, but in the person of Jesus Christ himself, who is the king of the ages, who is the Lord of glory, who is the bright and morning star, and who is our Passover. You see, today, I want us to be reminded of this core value because our whole lives are to revolve around Jesus Christ, the head of the church and the head of your life. And with that, I actually want to close in a word of prayer and ask the, I, I didn't ask, I asked Mel, so everybody else, I, I did a nick on you. Could I, ask the, could I ask the music team to come up while I close in prayer? But my, my, my challenge is let's move away from the activity of things and get back to the core value, who is Jesus the number one value, the number one person upon whom which our life rests. So I'll pray, and as I'll pray, the music team will come up. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. You're just an amazing Savior. You're just amazing God. You're just an amazing Lord who gave us your Son and has granted us the privilege. You have opened our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. You, by your grace, have saved us from our sin, have brought us into your kingdom, have renewed us by your spirit through faith in Jesus. And I pray that today as we leave here, that you will center our lives around yourself. Please have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.